Hey there, teachers. Since you're a regular podcast listener, and I know you're committed to improving your literacy instruction, I want to make sure you know about our free private podcast, the Confident Writer System Series. This private podcast was the result of so many teachers asking me questions about how to teach writing. I'd get questions like, my schedule is already so crammed. How do you find enough time to teach writing? Or my students struggle to write complete sentences and paragraphs, yet I'm expected to get them to write a five-paragraph essay by the end of the year. Help! (laughs) So I decided to put together a five-episode private podcast series that will teach you how to teach writing in upper elementary. In this short series, you'll learn the five mistakes to avoid when teaching writing in upper elementary, simple routines that will take your students from confused to confident, and manageable ways to teach writing every day without feeling rushed. You're going to get access to a podcast workbook that is filled with freebies and writing resources. So if that sounds like something that you want, then head to stellarteacher.com slash writing podcast. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash writing podcast and sign up for this free private podcast. These episodes are only available inside the private podcast. And trust me, you're not going to want to miss them. You're listening to episode number 41 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hey friends, happy Monday. I am always so happy that you are joining me for another episode of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. I absolutely love talking all things reading with you guys. And if you've tuned into my last couple episodes, then you know that we have been talking all about vocabulary. It has sort of turned into an unintentional mini series on this really important topic, and we're going to continue that conversation again today. And I wanted to do these episodes on vocabulary for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is important. (laughs) I know it's important because I get a lot of questions about it from teachers. A lot of teachers ask questions about how do I effectively teach vocabulary to my students? What is the best way for me to help my students grow their vocabularies? And it so often comes up when we're talking about comprehension. I have done a couple workshops in the past, and anytime I ask teachers what is the number one thing that prevents their students from understanding what it is that they read, the majority of the time, teachers will say things like lack of vocabulary. And I'm sure that you have recognized this or seen this in your classroom, that if our students don't know the meaning of the words that they are reading, it is going to be really difficult for them to have any understanding of the entire text, even if they miss out on two or three key vocabulary words, it is going to skew their comprehension. And if students aren't comprehending what they're reading, they are also not enjoying it, which means they are probably not going to be putting forth the effort and energy that we want them to that's going to help them turn into lifelong readers. So because vocabulary impacts comprehension in such a big way, we as teachers need to be equipped with how we can effectively teach vocabulary. And that is ultimately what I'm hoping that these episodes are helping with. So 
We're going to carry on the conversation today, and we're going to talk specifically about how to use context clues to help our students grow and expand their vocabularies. I kind of mentioned this in a few episodes back, but just in case you missed it, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of effective vocabulary instruction. And I want to start by sharing some things that we should avoid when it comes to teaching vocabulary. And I feel like, unfortunately, these things that are on my avoid list are often things that teachers end up doing. They are things that I did when I was in the classroom, so there's absolutely no judgment. But they are also things that are ineffective. So things that we should avoid doing, we should avoid explicit vocabulary word instruction and then quizzing students on those words. So if you are giving your students a list of 10 vocabulary words at the start of the week, we want to avoid that. (laughs) That is not going to help them grow their vocabularies for the long term. We also want to avoid pre-teaching specific vocabulary words before a student reads a novel or a book. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to explicitly teach vocabulary words when we're talking about a content or a subject area, but we want to avoid this idea of pre-teaching vocabulary words. And the reason to that is, is when we pre-teach specific vocabulary words, we are basically telling our students, which is also, this is something we want to avoid, but we're telling them, hey, we think this word is going to be difficult or tricky. And if we only pre-teach certain words, that basically prevents students from discovering words that they might find difficult, from asking about them, and it also limits their opportunity to actually use context clues, which is what we're going to talk about today. So if you've been doing those things, maybe consider just taking a different approach to how you teach vocabulary. And ultimately, what we want to do is we want to teach vocabulary in a way that is giving students the tools that are necessary to help them understand and solve any unknown word they encounter. Because ultimately, that's what we want. We want our students to feel like they can read any text that has any words because they know that if they come across a word that is challenging or difficult, they have a variety of tools that they can pull from to help them solve those words. And when our students have these tools, it is going to give them the ability to access any text they encounter. And like I said, that is the confidence that we want them to do. So a couple of things that we should be doing when we're teaching vocabulary is we should teach our students how to effectively use context clues. And we're going to go in depth in that today. We want to make sure, especially in upper elementary, that we are teaching our students about Greek and Latin roots and word parts. And we're talking about word parts like prefixes and suffixes. So if you do not have these things mapped out onto your calendar for the year, make sure you find time this year to teach your students Greek and Latin roots and word parts. Those are going to be essential tools for them to have. And then you also want to make sure that you are giving your students regular practice, maybe daily, (laughs) if not daily, weekly, to apply these skills. So often we teach a unit on context clues or we teach a unit on Greek and Latin roots and they don't become a part of our daily conversation or practice. And if our students are going to master anything, we know that they need to practice it. So we want to make sure that our students have regular practice on applying these skills and using context clues and using Greek and Latin roots so that way they can utilize them independently. With all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our episode today, which is all about context clues. Now, first of all, as a young teacher, I really remember having no idea how to effectively teach context clues to my students. And I think a huge part of my struggle was with this idea of using context clues was I didn't really know how to use context clues myself. And there's this vague idea that I knew that you could use the clues in a sentence before or after the unknown word to help you determine the meaning of that word. 
but I didn't really know what clues I was looking for. And if I didn't know what I was looking for, it was going to be really difficult for me to be able to communicate that clearly to my students. And I remember specifically one year reading the text, The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane to my students. And I remember we came across the word jaunty. And if I'm being honest, I didn't really know what that word meant. And of course, one of my students asked, what does that word mean? Because my students knew to ask questions when they're reading and to clarify meaning. And so we talked about, okay, we don't know what this word means, but we can use the context clues to help us figure it out. So I told my students, let's look at clues around the word. Let's reread the words before and after, and let's see if we can figure it out. I had my students write down their guesses, and they came up with such a variety of words, pretty, silly, cute, bunny, jogging, not even like the same types of words. And so while I didn't really know what the word meant myself, I knew for sure that none of their answers was the real definition. And so of course, one of my students said, okay, well, what does the word actually mean? You know, and being a younger teacher, I had no idea and I didn't want to admit that I was clueless. And so I did one of those things rather than admitting, I didn't know, let's look it up. I did one of those things that teachers often do when they don't know the answer, and that is, oh my gosh, look at the time. We're late for math. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Have you ever done that? Because I I did that more often than I'd like to admit. This experience, though, really made me realize that I had no idea how to use context clues myself, which means I really had no idea how to effectively teach it to my students. And if I wanted my students to be able to read texts with confidence and being able to discover new words on their own, I needed to figure this out. So I did what every good teacher does. I went to the internet and I did a bunch of research and I probably looked for things on Pinterest and I read some articles and I discovered a few things about context clues. So first of all, I started to realize that there are actually different types of clues that I could teach my students to pay attention to and that there's this idea of there's a process that I could teach my students to use when thinking about context clues. And ultimately, whatever it is that we're teaching our students, this is what we need to pay attention to. We want to be able to teach our students a process. We want to be able to teach our students the specifics, you know, giving them a step-by-step process, giving them different types of clues to look for, whatever it is. So that way, when they are working independently, it's not just this vague idea of I'm looking for clues. They know exactly what it is they're looking for. So first things first, you want to teach your students the different types of context clues. And maybe you as a teacher, you're thinking, I didn't know there was different types of context clues. Don't worry, you're not alone. I didn't realize that either. And so I realized that there are really five different types of context clues you can teach your students. And I love using acronyms because it's an easy thing to communicate to students. It's easy for them to remember. I like using the acronym IDEAS, I-D-E-A-S, to help teach your students the different type of context clues. And they are inferences, definition, examples, antonyms, and synonyms. Let me kind of break down and explain each type of context clue. So The first one is inferences. And honestly, this is the hardest for students to figure out because there's really, the the clues are vague, right? It's it's gonna be a little more difficult. They're actually gonna have to make an inference to figure out the meaning of the word. But that's okay because if they know that, if they've eliminated all the other options, then they know, okay, I have to make an inference, which means I'm gonna have to use my background knowledge and make a guess about what this word means. So an example might be, You don't want to work with Sarah unless you want to hear her talk about herself the whole time. She is so arrogant. So in that sentence, students are having to figure out what does the word arrogant mean? There's no definition. There's no real example. It's just used in this context, and they're going to have to make an inference to figure out what that word means. 
Okay, another example is a definition. Sometimes authors will actually include the definition of the word in the sentence or close to the sentence. And so students know that, okay, they can be looking for a possible definition next to the word. So here's an example. Sarah is so arrogant. She thinks she is better than everyone else. That second sentence includes the definition of arrogant, thinking that they are better than anyone else. Okay, the next type is an example. Now with this type, the author is gonna include an example of that specific word in a nearby sentence. So while the explicit definition isn't necessarily given, students can use the example to figure out what it is. So here's an example of what that would look like. I'm so tired of hearing Sarah brag about all of her accomplishments. She is so arrogant. Okay, so the sentence before arrogant talks about how when somebody's arrogant, they're going to brag about their accomplishments. So students can use that example to help them figure out the meaning of the word. And then the next two, antonyms and synonyms, are the easiest because, well, I think they're the easiest, because the author gives them very specific clues that help the students. So the antonym is when the author uses the opposite example to help the reader understand the word. So an example of this is, Sarah is so arrogant. She needs to learn a lesson from her younger sister and be just a little more humble. So if students know what the word humble means, then they know that arrogant is the opposite of that. And then synonym is another really easy one for students to identify. And that is similar to the antonym, but the author is going to list out other words with similar meanings in a sentence or sentences nearby. So here's the example of that one. Sarah is so arrogant, proud, self-centered, and overbearing. So they might not know arrogant, But if they know proud, self-centered, and overbearing, they can use that to help them figure out arrogant. So first of all, if you have never taught your students the five different types of context clues, even this right here is going to help your students because now they know rather than just rereading sentences, rather than just looking for these vague clues, they're looking for the definition, they're looking for examples, they're looking for antonyms, they're looking for synonyms, and if none of those exists, then they know that they're going to have to make an inference. So already, they're going to be more equipped to use context clues to help them figure out unknown words. So if you are wanting to teach your students the different types of context clues, I would start by introducing to them just what a context clue is and maybe introduce the entire acronym IDEAS but I would do specific lessons on each type. So often we give our students too much, especially because, you know, inferences, definition, examples, they're all very different. Antonym, synonym, there's a lot of vocabulary even in this example, a lot for them to figure out. And so breaking down each one into a specific lesson is gonna help your students feel more confident. And so this could even be an entire week's worth of instruction teaching them the different types. So once your students understand that there are different types of context clues, you want to teach them to look for those types of context clues when they are reading and they come across an unknown word. And ultimately, they can use these examples as sort of their test to see if they can figure it out. So they can just ask these questions. Okay, I found a word that I don't know. Is there a definition nearby? Is there an example close by? Do I notice antonyms or synonyms? And if the answer is no to all of those questions, then they know that they have to make an inference about the meaning of the word, but they've eliminated all of the obvious choices. Now, if your students have to make an inference about the word, there are still other things, other clues, (laughs) other tools that we can have them do that are going to help them make a successful inference. And 
Other things that I think are really important when we're talking about context clues is the idea of that words are all a different part of speech. And so we want our students to be, this is why grammar I think is so important, obviously with reading, because we want our students to be able to identify the part of speech of the unknown word. Because if they can identify the part of speech, then they're more than likely going to be able to make a correct substitution. They know that they're not going to guess a verb for a word that is actually an adjective. And this is one of the things that I did realize early on is that if the students can't accurately identify the part of speech, then they are, I mean, they're making just really any sort of guess. And so it's important that they realize verbs are going to be substituted for verbs, adjectives substituted for adjectives. So they have to be able to identify the part of speech, and then that's going to make it easier for them to come up with a substitution or a guess for the unknown word. And so a couple things that you can do is you can just teach your students to pause and consider, okay, how is the author using this specific word? Are they naming something? Are they describing something? Are they talking about an action? And then again, however the author is using that word, they're going to try to come up with a guess or a substitution or their inference is going to be connected to that part of speech. So first thing, if they have to make an inference, what is the part of speech? The next thing you want them to consider is, do they see any word parts that they recognize? And this is where Greek and Latin roots and prefixes and suffixes come in, because if students have knowledge of word parts, they're going to be able to say, okay, I see, you know, an ing ending. I see an re. I see the word spect in the middle of it. You know, whatever it is, if they have something that they can connect it to, they're going to be able to make, again, an educated guess, an inference about this word because they have some clue in the middle of that word. So we want to make them or we want to train them to look for word parts. And then even if they don't see word parts, even if they don't see the part of speech, other things that you can have them consider is the tone and the mood of the text because even this can help them eliminate words or narrow in their word choice. So we want them to even consider what is happening in the scene, what is happening with the character, what is the topic of the text? You know, is the author trying to explain or describe something that is happy or positive or is the scene tense and unsettling? Even if they can sort of figure out what's happening in the text, they're going to, you know, be on the track to make a correct inference. So in general, we want them to pause, think about what is happening, and this might help them access the background knowledge that could help them figure out the meaning of the word. So like I said, even if they have to make an inference, we still want to give them some tools to consider. So parts of speech, word parts, and then tone and mood of the text are also important things to teach. And all of these things that I'm sharing are things that we want to teach in very small, bite-sized mini lessons. Obviously, I'm running through them in the podcast because I want to give you as much information as I can. But when we teach our students, we want to break all of these things down to very small, bite-sized objectives. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want our students to feel confident in their ability to make a guess, because that's why we're teaching them all of these things. We want them to realize that they have the tools that are going to help them make a guess about the meaning of this unknown word. And so I like students to think what are one to two possible words that they could use to substitute this unknown word. We want to make sure that it's the same part of speech. I even like having students brainstorm possible synonyms and antonyms for their guess because this can really help them figure out if their guess is accurate. And I also like to remind myself, remind my students that this is not a vocabulary quiz. So if you're not 100% accurate with knowing the meaning of the word, 
That's okay because ultimately we want you to have the tools to help you understand the unknown words so you can understand the text as a whole. We're not trying to get the very exact definition. This is not a matching test here or anything. They're just tools to help students become more confident readers and be able to comprehend the text. So I also want students, though, especially when we're just kind of getting started, and if, you know, students are reading really difficult, complex texts on a regular basis, we want them to take time to confirm their thinking and their answers. And we do this for a couple of reasons. One, I like teaching students to use a dictionary because it, you know, confirms their meaning. I also like to sort of just train them that this is a good habit. I even do this as an adult. You know, if I am reading a word and I don't know it, even if I pause to think about what it means. I want to know what that word is because if I see it again, I want to be confident that I know the definition of it. So I like having students go to the dictionary or a thesaurus and just spend some time like confirming that their guess was correct. They can maybe even ask a friend or ask a teacher, you know, just have a conversation about it. And, you know, when they confirm that their guess is correct, it is going to either build their confidence and their ability to use context clues. You know, it's going to help them know that they're on the right track. But if they were incorrect, then we want to figure out where was the breakdown? Okay, maybe they didn't understand the part of speech or maybe they didn't know the synonyms or the antonyms or maybe they're not confident in the five types of context clues. So if a student looks up a word they realize they were way off, then that's going to help us as teachers figure out how can we kind of, you know, reframe our instruction or give them extra practice in other ways that's going to help them figure out the correct word in the future. So confirming their thinking and their answers, I think, is an important part of learning how to use context clues. But I also like to teach students that, yes, we want to check with the dictionary when possible. Yes, we want to confirm our answers, but we also want to check with ourselves internally. And this kind of comes, you know, maybe later in the year when my students are becoming confident. I like to have my students ask themselves, do I really need to know the meaning of this exact word in order to understand the text? Because in a lot of cases, the answer is yes, but in some cases, it is is no. And maybe you've seen this with your students, but I remember I had one student who got so hung up on being able to pronounce a character's name, they could not pronounce it, and they could not get past the first page. So they spent like an entire, you know, 25-minute reading period trying to figure out how to pronounce their name and trying to use context clues to figure it out, but that wasn't going to help them. And so I just told him, you know what, substitute it substitute it with a name that you can pronounce because it really doesn't matter if you call the character Carly, Karen, or Kendall. It is going to not change the meaning of the text because a name is a name. And the same is kind of true with using context clues. So obviously, yes, we want our students to have the tools to be able to identify unknown words. And yes, we want our students to be able to expand and grow their vocabulary. But we also don't want our students to be stopping every few minutes and spending so much time figuring out every single word that it does interfere with their comprehension for other issues. So, you know, ultimately this comes down to self-monitoring, but we also want to give our students permission that it's like, you know what, if I don't need to know the meaning of this word, then I'm just going to maybe make my best guess and move on, or I'm going to substitute it for something that I do know. And I think that also empowers students to be able to decide when is it important to stop and practice and go through the whole context clue process, and when is it okay to skip and move ahead. And I know sometimes as teachers, we can be thinking, okay, if I give my students so much freedom and flexibility, how are they ever going to to practice the skills that I want to teach them. You know, what if they never practice using context clues independently, which might happen for some students. They might want to, you know, rush through every single word or make a guess or skip every word, which is why in addition to encouraging students to practice finding context clues independently, 
You know, we also want to model it during our read aloud, during our mini lessons, during strategy groups, during small group instruction, but we also want to give them structured practice so we know even if they skip it during their independent reading, they are getting practice with this skill in other ways. And so one of the ways that I love doing this, and I have a resource both in my Teachers Pay Teachers store and in the Stellar Teacher Reading Membership, if you are a part of that, that will help your students get weekly practice on using context clues. And it's a super short routine. It takes maybe five minutes a day, but it it helps students practice all of the things that we talked about today. It helps them practice identifying the five types of context clues, looking at parts of speech, you know, coming up with synonyms, antonyms, looking for word parts. So if you are wanting to give your students kind of that specific daily practice, it is my context clue of the week routine. And I have it for third, fourth, and fifth grade students. And I will link to that in the show notes in case you want to go check that out. Like I said, it's in my Teachers Pay Teacher store, also in the Stellar Teacher Reading Membership. But that can be just an easy way for you to make sure that your students are getting practice with context clues in case they skip over words independently. So I know this was a lot, but like I said, I want I wanted to spend kind of a little bit of time talking about vocabulary before the year begins because I know it is such an important part of our job as reading teachers is to help our students have the tools and to feel equipped to be able to discover the meaning of unknown words as they encounter them in their text. So if something in this episode resonated with you or you're going to start teaching your students the five different types of context clues, I always love hearing from you. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I am at the Stellar Teacher Company, and I love it when you guys reach out to me and letting me know that you listened to today's episode. So hopefully it was helpful, and I am so excited. Be sure to tune in next week. We are not going to be talking about vocabulary, but I have a super special guest that I am so excited about. And we're going to be talking about a really amazing opportunity for reading teachers that is coming up in October. So hopefully you will tune in next week for that guest episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.